Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome again uh, to another night of Rooted, uh, Growing Deeper in Christ. Uh, we're so excited as we work through uh, the next lesson, uh, Bibliology, and um, I'm super stoked about it. And um, it's great. Again, we're just taking our time uh, going through this. Bibliology has a ton of information, uh, so we're going to take our time going through it. And then we're gonna, uh, you know, have a good time with that. And uh, remember that what's coming after this is soteriology or the doctrine of salvation. And so uh, I hope that you'll stay with me. Look, it's important. Uh, I, I've been telling everybody since the beginning, if you'll stay with me through all 10 doctrines, you'll be so well-rounded. You'll be so well-rounded, but you know, you're not out of luck. If you, uh, if you happen to miss an episode, uh, I upload these right afterwards onto my, uh, my podcast website, Martian Talk, which is available on all streaming platforms, um, and they upload there. So if you miss it, you can still check it out there, uh, but I hope you can be here with us in class so that you can ask questions and stuff um, if you need to. So let's pray, and we're going to dive into lesson two of Bibliology. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and for your son, for sending him to die on the cross for our sins. Father, thank you for your word, Lord, and that, that you've given us so that we may be able to spend time uh, with you in it, Lord, and you, you talk to us through your word, Father. I pray that we would learn to study it, learn to take refuge in it, learn to trust it, um, and apply it to our lives, God, and we'll give you all the honor for it all. In Jesus' name we pray, and we're thankful. Amen. All right? So last time we were together, we were talking about a uh, scriptural view of inspiration. Um, in the intro, we talked about, uh, uh, the intro, we talked about, you know, what makes the Bible different from other books. We talked about inspiration um, and how it means God breathes. We talked about plenary, which means full. The whole word of God is the word of God, right? And then we talked about uh, verbal, how it's word for word. So we kind of were breaking it down. Uh, that way and, 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 and really just going through some preliminary information. Uh, today we're going to start going through some actual content and uh, a lot of this is still a little bit more preliminary but there's tons of information to cover and, um, and, and, we'll, and we'll definitely get there. Okay, um, so we're talking about uh, teachings of, the, of inspiration and we, we know that inspiration means God breathed, right? Uh, second Corinthians, or sorry, Second Thessalonians, second Let's try again. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16. Um, and, and that's kind of been our theme verse uh, going through bibliology. And we'll, we'll hopefully by the end of this, you'll have it memorized. Uh, but we'll look through this. And uh, we talked about inspiration. So tonight we're going to talk about what inspiration is not. We're going to talk about what inspiration is not. We're going to talk about some false views um, of inspiration. Uh, following that, we're going to talk about some proofs of information of, of inspiration and how the Bible defends itself and so i look forward to this and we're going to dive right into it so we're going to look at four non-scriptural views or four false views of inspiration uh the first one is is called natural inspiration uh this means that the writers of the bible were inspired by men who reached high levels of creativity this is stuff like shakespeare michelangelo bach beethoven uh this kind of like a modernistic idea of, of scripture, of inspiration. And of course, this is not the proper view of inspiration. It is not the proper view. Uh, God did not breathe the words you know, uh, of Shakespeare or the music of Bach. He didn't, he didn't create, help, he, didn't, and he didn't inspire sculptors and musicians and artists the same way that he inspired scripture. Um, 
some people will teach a false narrative though that they were you know yeah they were inspired uh but it wasn't by the word it wasn't by the actual words of god you know they god kind of just kind of like impressed it upon their heart and they're like wow we were inspired and this is this is first on the list and important because um it's exactly what we said it's not <laughs> this view is exactly what we said it's not um and people will try to do that in order to of course discredit god so what's the problem? The problem is that this is the incorrect interpretation of inspiration. It's the incorrect interpretation. God said it's God breathed, which means that it was given word for word out of the mouth of God. It's his words. The whole word of God is his word. And this stands against that and says, well, God just kind of, you know, inspired people, but it's naturally the wrong, uh, the wrong definition of inspiration. So the first false view um, of inspiration is natural inspiration. The second false view of inspiration is partial inspiration. Partial inspiration. Uh, this is the kind of the viewpoint that says uh, that only parts of the word are the word of God or that the Bible just contains the word of God but is not fully uh, the word of God. Uh, this will, this this idea, idea says that, you know, the Bible may be accurate, um, in morals or maybe in doctrine, but it's unreliable when it talks about the areas of stuff like science and history. Um, and this is a false, you know, this is very false and, and it should be rejected for a few reasons. Um, of course, our theme verse, Second uh, Timothy 3.16, all, all uh, scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, right? Um, um, every word. Um, we have to make sure that we keep that in mind. Uh, the Bible doesn't just contain the word of God. Um, the, the whole word of God is his. Um, and it's important to think about it. You know, if the Holy Spirit could inspire some of scripture, uh, why could not people believe that he could inspire the whole thing? You know, I, again, it's, a, it's another kind of attempt to discredit God for what he's done. Uh, this view kind of makes man the final authority on determining, you know, what passages are inspired by God and what's not. And of course, we're going to talk about things in bibliology like the Council of Nicaea and some of those other, some of those other things. Uh, but of course, once we allow mankind to become the final authority, it puts the validity of the, and the perfection of the Bible in jeopardy. And uh, that's, that's more humanistic thinking uh, than the Bible stands for. Um, so that's why sometimes people will say, you know, depending on how it affects them. They'll say, well, oh, it's the, the preacher taking it out of context or the preacher's kind of uh, abusing it and, and say, applying it to what he means in this statement, in this statement or this point uh, versus it being what God actually says. Um, so if the Bible is truly, truly God's word, uh, then it has to be perfect, right? It has to be perfect by definition uh, because God is, a, is, a, is perfect and he only produces perfection. Um, and since the product of perfection, God can be nothing less than perfect. So it's important to realize that's why it's important for God uh, to be the, to, for the whole Bible to be inspired um, by him. Um, and if the Bible is accurate and only of its major importance, uh, then I don't understand why it wouldn't be uh, accurate in its minor importance as well. And uh, of course we realize that the entire Bible was, is important. We just talked about that, right? All scripture it's given by inspiration of God, all of it. Um, but sometimes we can only, uh, people only get in there and start preaching on or teaching on certain topics. And that's my aim in the study is to be able to uh, 
to look at the Bible from all the standpoints that we're given, uh, from an eschatological standpoint, ecclesiological standpoint, um, anthropology, soteriology, angelology, theology proper, you know, Christology, pneumatology, all that. We're hoping to really uh, give a, get a good, well-rounded view of scripture because God covers all kinds of things. Um, and so if we can trust the Bible for our eternal destiny, then we also have a responsibility to trust it to be accurate in all the areas of our life and thought as well. And I think that's what we do as Christians. Like we trust God with our eternity, but not with the small stuff. Um, and, and, and I don't understand how we do that. That's kind of backwards, you think. And uh, we have to make sure we understand that, okay? Uh, and so the, 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 first, uh, the first one was the, the natural inspiration. This being uh, that it was inspired by God, but the same way that a musical composition would be inspired. Um, the second teaching was partial inspiration, um, and that you know God only uh, that God only gave parts of it, and or, or the parts of the Bible is inspired, and the rest of it is kind of whatever, you know. Um, the third false teaching is what's called conceptual inspiration. Conceptual inspiration. Um, this kind of ideology says that God only inspired the thoughts of the Bible. And that man wrote down his own words. Of course, the problem in this, again, is that God inspired the Bible word for word. And so conceptual leaves it up to man to dictate the words of God, uh, the words of scripture. And that would not be plenary. It would not be verbal. Um, that it would be conceptual in that case. Um, and it, it rejects verbal inspiration, which, which kind of says, you know, it's too mechanical. There's no way God made them write down word for word every single thing. Um, and people, I guess, struggle with, with that. They call it kind of mechanical dictation. Um, and with God dictating every word, that man doesn't have any freedom um, to write. And so this is why we, now we got to talk about why that's a false teaching. All right. Again, the Bible claims every word is inspired right? All scripture is given, right? First uh, Corinthians chapter two, verse 13 says, which things are, we also speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, uh, but the words which the Holy Ghost teaches, right? So the whole Bible is inspired uh, by him, uh, that word for word stuff. Um, and it's important, it's impossible to have wordless thoughts. Um, if the words were not from God, how could we be sure that the thoughts were from God. You know what I'm saying? You don't think something blank in your mind and say, well, oh, well, I'm inspired now and I, I can write these down. No, you kind of mull over it in your mind, right? And so if God could give people these thoughts, then why couldn't he give them the words as well? Um, of course, we'll see that, you know, very slight changes in words or grammar can cause dramatic changes um, in the thought of a sentence. And so it's imperative that God gave it word for word. Um, and sometimes even to make it, you know, on top of that, sometimes the writers uh, themselves didn't even understand what they were writing. That happened. Uh, some examples, Daniel chapter seven, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. Daniel being um, a prophet and being given tons of visions and interpreting interpreting dreams and there were even times when he was grieved because god gave him a vision and he's like i don't even know what's happening right daniel chapter 8 i was astonished at the vision but none understood it all right kind of that same concept uh daniel 12 and i heard but i understood not then said i O lord what shall be the end of these things and he said go thy way daniel 
for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end, Daniel chapter 12. So there were parts of it where God told, uh, where God told uh, uh, Daniel, you know, he's like, what does this mean? He's like, well, you won't be able to, uh, to know about this and no one will until the end of time. So uh, we know that Daniel, of course, is a prophetic book, both in, as for, the, for Israel, right, and, and Judah. Uh, but also for the end times as well, from from an eschatological standpoint. First um, Peter chapter one, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister. I also think about John in the book of Revelation when God, you know, he's he's pouring out his he, he it's the seven trumpets and the seven vials and the seven scrolls, right? And there comes a point in Revelation, we'll talk about this a little bit more in eschatology, uh, but where he's talking about the seven thunders and God told John, don't write that down. So there are definitely times in scripture uh, where even people were writing things down, they had no idea uh, what they were even writing. They were just following orders. All right. And so, um, so the question kind of is begged, you know, how could the human writers put God's thoughts into their own words if they didn't even understand what they were writing? So God dictated to them um, every word. All right. So we have, uh, so we, we looked at first natural inspiration. We looked at partial inspiration. Uh, we looked at conceptual um, inspiration. And now we're going to look at the, the final false view is that the Bible becomes the word of God. The Bible becomes the word of God. Um, this, is also, this is also known as encounter theory, uh, the, which means the Bible only becomes the word when it speaks to you. Okay. And so the error of this, of course, that we see is almost like when, whenever you have a blessing, whenever it, whenever it, 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 it particularly says something special to you, and we know that the Bible is true, whether it speaks to you or not. And so that's exactly the problem. The problem is that the inspired word of the Bible is inspired, whether it's you feel it speaks to you or it doesn't. Uh, just because of how you've emotionally reacted to the scripture for the day doesn't mean that it's that it's false or true because you didn't feel tingly when you read it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word um, is truth. Um, and of course, an, an individual's disbelief um, in it doesn't make it to be any less true. The same thing happens with gravity. Just because you don't believe in gravity doesn't mean it's not true. Just because you don't believe in the wind uh, doesn't mean that it's not true. Uh, Paul penned in, in his writings, he said, uh, just because that some did not believe didn't make the truths of God to be of none effect. God forbid, right? Just because people don't believe doesn't mean that God is still not God isn't still true. It doesn't mean that God um, isn't still holy. It doesn't mean that God isn't still just. It doesn't make God any less real um, because of that. And of course, uh, we have great verses like Romans chapter three, verse four, which says, let God be true, but let every man be a liar. Right? So it's important to realize uh, that no matter what happens, uh, no matter how people disregard God's word, it doesn't change the fact that God's word is truth. Let God be true, but every man be a liar. Every time someone stands up against the word of God, it's let God be true and every man be a liar. That's it. All right. Every man's a liar. It, like no, no, no one's words are going to be able to come and stand in, in a position um, against God. Right. And, and it stand. Um, and that's something that we should really kind of keep in mind. And so that's why all of these false teachings uh, can be rejected just by 
looking at Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. Uh, of course, right? Man says that parts of the Bible are inspired, but God says all Scripture is given by God. Uh, they say that the thoughts are inspired. Uh, but all scripture, right, the actual words that's written down are given by God. They say it's natural, uh, but it's given by God, right, inspired by God. God breathed. They'll say that um, that it becomes the word of God, and but all scripture is profitable. So that, that verse by itself, really broken down, can really kind of refute um, those false views um, of salvation. So we have natural inspiration. We have partial inspiration. We have conceptual inspiration and that the Bible becomes uh, the word of God. So now we're gonna look at, okay, what proof does inspiration have, right? What proof does inspiration have? Like, why is it that we can, that we can, stand, um, that we can stand on this? Um, we know that the Bible, uh, the Bible claims to be the word of God. Uh, the Bible um, is unique because it, it claims to be written by God and then it proves its own divinity uh, by many infallible proofs. And that's what we're going to be spending some time looking at um, over the course of the next few weeks. Um, some would uh, argue that it's kind of circular reasoning to use the Bible um, as proof of its own inspiration. Um, and some people may even say that the Bible could make, any, any book can make that its own claim. Uh, but very few other books have claimed to be written uh, by God himself. And those which have claimed either that or did not stand a test of time, or they're obviously inferior, you know, due to their quality. Uh, and so, of course, that there are there are very there are many powerful uh, statements that Scripture gives to talk about the issue. Again, we look at Second Timothy three sixteen, which is our theme verse. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, uh, for instruction in righteousness. Second Peter chapter one. Uh, verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Right? So these are what scripture is saying about how it, how it by itself uh, claims to be uh, the word of God. We have 2 Timothy 3.16. We have uh, 2 Peter 1.21. We have verses like 2 Samuel 23 verse 2, which says, The spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Um, 2 Samuel 23, 2. Uh, Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 says, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jer Jeremiah, right? Ezra 1, 1. Uh, we also look at verse, verses like Acts chapter 1, verse 16, which says that this scripture, uh, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. So we see that the Bible itself claims to be uh, the word of God, and uh, that's how it's presented, right? His word, the word of the Lord, um, um, Isaiah chapter 18 and 19, 18, sorry, Isaiah chapter 8, uh, verses 19 and 20 talk about how God through Isaiah warns the people to be careful, um, of the people who are coming, uh, those false prophets and, uh, that they didn't speak according to the word of God. And if they didn't do that, that they should reject them as prophets. And so God's word is always the test of the validity of the, of man's message. And that's why a lot of times I'll tell my church, don't sit in front of me without your Bible and don't sit without me in front of me without a notebook. I need you to bring those things. I want you to check it uh, because my word is only true as, you know, if it's, you know, valid by the scriptures. And I don't think that's something uh, that people really realize when they go to church. Um, 
the phrase, thus saith the Lord, and similar phrases like it are found over 3,800 times um, in the Old Testament. Um, even the human writers realized that God was giving them uh, the words that they were speaking. Um, Exodus 20 verse, 25 verse 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, um, uh, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. Uh, Jeremiah 1 verses 1 and 2 talk about how the words of Jeremiah, uh, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah. I also think about the book of Jonah. Where it says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, right? So though it, it's important to realize um, that, that human writers realized that it was God who was giving them uh, those words. And what a special calling um, that they have had. Um, we also see that Christ backs up the scriptures. Uh, he backs up the scriptures in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, Christ says, but he answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, right? That's, that's that reference again to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? So, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So that even Christ says that, man, that's great. I'm glad you're being fed. But every, but you can't just live by only what you eat physically, but you, you got to live by what you eat spiritually as well. Christ placed that stamp of approval um, on the scriptures. So, uh, uh, and then we also see that there is judgment um, attached to adding or taking away from the words of scripture. And so uh, this definitely shows God's attitude on this. And so it's important, especially I challenge you, there'll be some people who, who, who are on this, who listen to this podcast later, or maybe some of y'all who even are listening now, um, be very, very careful in the translations of the Bible um, that you use. Um, there are some good translations out there, but you have to make sure you understand um, that you have to compare it. I usually, when I do my devotions, I'll sit down uh, with my King. I use the King James. I'm a King James man. So I sit down with my King James and I, and I, even with that, I parallel it with the, I have an app called eSword and it's a basically an ele electronic concordance. And so I can look at it in the Greek. I can look at it in the Hebrew. I can look at it in its original languages. And uh, because it's important to make sure that whatever translation that you're using, that it properly aligns with scripture. And there are some script, some translations out there that do not um, interpret the Bible correctly. And, and we'll talk a lot about translation here um, in another couple of weeks. And um, I'm really excited about that portion. And so once we get to that and we start talking about um, where things come from, we talk about the critical text versus the Textus Receptus and some of that other stuff. I'm really excited. Um, um, to get to that. But there's a judgment to those who take away or add to scripture. Um, Deuteronomy 12:32 says, whatsoever I command you, you observe to do it, that thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. Proverbs 30 verses 5 and 6 says, every word of God is pure. Add thou not unto his words. Revelation chapter 22 Verse 18 says, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written into this book. Uh, scripture also talks about how uh, Jesus says um, that if uh, any of you lead one of these little ones astray, that it's better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and for you to be cast out into the uttermost parts of the sea. Uh, second John, 1 John chapter 2 uh, says, 
Um, if any man come unto you and bring not this doctrine, bid him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For him that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. So God really does not play about when it comes to, uh, when it comes to um, his scriptures. Don't change his words. Don't take away. Don't add. Don't, don't put asterisks in God's word. We want God's word to say everything except what it actually says. And that's not right uh, for us to do. Um, very few books claim to be the word of God. Uh, those that do words like the Quran or the Book of Mormon um, are filled with a, a lot of historical inaccuracies or they, uh, they don't line up with each other or contradicting. And uh, we have to be careful about that. And we also can accept the authorship um, of, the, of, of a reliable literature, right, until it's proven otherwise. And so sometimes we can, we can assume that every book in the library or the bookstore uh, was written by the person whose name is on the cover. And we would never question that, right, unless we knew someone who was writing under a pseudonym or, or we had good evidence to, to support the contrary. So we should not just accept the Bible's claims of being written by, um, by one who claims it to be, uh, you know, we, we need to be people who be able to, to accept it because there's no reason for us to, uh, to, to believe otherwise. Okay. And I, and that's so, 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 um, important. So we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at, uh, uh, just a, a little bit of, of history's defense, um, of the scriptures. Um, of course, there are definitely individuals who have tried to uh, to stand against scripture. Uh, I want to talk to you really quickly about the Roman emperor, uh, Diocletian, um, and he decreed in AD 303 that every Bible should be destroyed. Um, and he had been told that if he could destroy the Bible, he would destroy Christianity because Christians are people of the book. Um, and so feeling that he had succeeded, uh, he raised a column. Uh, what the inscription in Latin, uh, which basically says the name of the Christian is extinguished. Uh, but what happened that's important to realize is that Constantine uh, followed him after that shortly and replaced all the pagan symbols with the symbols of the cross. And this remarkable, you know, change took place in, in less than 10 years. Uh, and so that's something to uh, kind of keep in mind um, is that there are a lot of the pagan symbols that were erected were 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 uh, replaced with the cross and kind of coming back and tearing down all the work uh, Diocletian did to try and destroy Christianity, whereas people like Constantine, even though he didn't do everything right, uh, kind of came back and started to reverse all the damage, uh, quote-unquote damage that he had done. Another person I want to just kind of mention uh, here kind of in passing is Voltaire. Uh, uh, 1,400 years um, after Constantine, a man by the name of a French artist named Voltaire came afterwards, um, and he said this. This is what he said. Check this out. Listen to this quote. 100 years from, the, from my day, there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian, uh, antiquarian curiosity seeker. 20 years after the death of Voltaire, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his house for printing the Bible. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Um, and of course, it later became uh, the Paris headquarters for the for the British and Foreign Bible uh, Society, which stored and distributed Bibles all throughout of, throughout Europe. Um, and that's such a, a, a powerful, powerful thing. And so even that little kind of like premise 
uh, really points to uh, the indestructibility of the Bible, which God promised to us. In Isaiah chapter 40, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, it says, the word of our God shall stand forever. All right, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11 says, my word shall not return unto me void. Isaiah 59, 21 says, my word shall not depart out of thy mouth. Matthew 5, 18 says, one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. Matthew 24, verse 35 says, my words shall not pass away. Luke 16, 8, 17 says, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for, pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. So God stands firmly on his word and how and the indestructibility um, of that. And so we even can even see today how the promise of that indestructible scriptures uh, were fulfilled um, through a couple of different ways. Uh, first is what's called autographs. Uh, what people were doing um, was before we had printers, they had to hand write or hand copy the scriptures. Uh, when I was at school, I had a, I had a buddy who was on my hall uh, when I was a residence assistant. Um, and he, uh, uh, he was on my hall when I was a residence assistant. And he, he was making it a hobby of himself to hand write the Bible by hand. Um, and so he sat down and he got binders out and he was spent his days uh, just copying the scripture. So he has a binder for Genesis. He has a binder for Exodus. And last I saw him when I was 2014, um, he was, um, I think, about eight or nine books in uh, of, of handwriting those. So it was super cool uh, for him to do that. But that's an autograph, right, or a manuscript. Um, and people were, uh, you know, we call them scribes who were, who were tasked to just write and make copies um, of the Bible. Um, and so just, you know, as Bibles can deteriorate, so can manuscripts, right? They wouldn't last long. I, I have a Bible in my office at church um, that I absolutely love, but it is so worn out and outdated and, and it's fading on the inside. I've had it a really long time, uh, but manuscripts did the same thing. So they had, they had a responsibility to continually handwrite, uh, but God was preserving his word uh, through these dedicated copiers uh, who would make make sure to make um, uh, copies of the Bible and went through very great lengths to make sure that the, the copies that they made were accurate. But then a blessing came uh, by a man whose name was Johann Gutenberg, and um, he made what was called the movable type printing press, um, which was... Uh, constructed in 1441. But by the time of 1456, uh, Johann was able to produce the first printed edition of the Bible, which of, uh, which of course was the Latin Vulgate. Um, but we saw that he had a dream of, you know, being able to in increase or enhance the circulation of the scripture. Um, and of course, we can credit him for being able to mass produce uh, the Bible, where, over, where today um, over 58 uh, million copies um, of the Bible have been made, and um, it's the best-selling book of all time. Um, and so, sorry to Voltaire and Diocletian, who thought they would be able to eradicate the scriptures. Um, there are so many everywhere. You can go to almost any store and find a copy of them, the dollar store even still sells New Testaments and, um, and some stuff like that. Some little uh, Gideon Bibles are everywhere. They still find them in hotels and, um, and stuff like that. And so super cool. Um, 
And, uh, but we see from a historical standpoint, the great lengths that, that God has gone through um, in order to keep his word alive. All right. So let me talk about next time real quick. When we get back together, we're going to talk about a few different things. We're going to talk about the prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament that were uh, prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to talk about New Testament prophecies that were fulfilled by historical events. Um, we're going to talk about the scientific accuracy of the Bible. Uh, one of my favorite things in uh, college, I, had, I went through a, co a course called Origins, and it, it's all about scientific accuracy of the Bible. Super cool. And um, the perfection of the word. Okay. Uh, so with that being said, hey, it was great to, uh, to have you all here with us tonight. I hope that you'll stay on. Uh, stay along with us. I'm telling you, if you can stay along with us for the whole ride, uh, you will see that it would help you to have a more diverse and in-depth knowledge of the scripture. And so uh, we'll see you next time.